Well, hello. You're here tonight. Raise your hand. Always check, and I'm sure about some people. But it's a blessing to be back with you, Mount Airy. And uh, really is. We're just so glad to see all of you. Daniel Dina here. Get, don't get to worship them much. Good to see all of you. Sorry to hear about Keith feeling bad. And, uh, but I'm, I'm kind of, I was glad that he was away on sabbatical, maybe getting some rest. A lot of times you don't get rest on sabbatical. But uh, ministry's rough uh, more than you realize. When I became director of missions, I began to see what a lot of these pastors really go through on a daily basis and listen to it. And it is rough. You know, visiting visiting's dangerous, Dave. It, don't laugh, it is. I, I was over, when I was at Ariel Baptist Church in the same association, um, part of my responsibility was visiting. Led music, but visited, worked with youth. And I would visit shut-ins and others. And um, I remember one day, I'll never forget, as long as I live, that I went to see this lady who was homebound. She was shut-in, but lived in her house by herself. And I had a nice visit, prayed with her. And when I started out to get in my vehicle, about five or six kittens came out of the barn. And they were about, well, I really didn't judge their age. I'm not a veterinarian, but they were probably six weeks old, seven weeks old. And I don't know if you know it or not, cats can be dangerous. Now, this lady came out on the back stoop, you know, to, to see me off and was standing there. She couldn't hear very well, couldn't see very well. And uh, these little kittens came running out and got around my, my feet. And I looked down at one was just fuzzy, you know, and cute as it could be. And I thought, well, I'll just pick him up. And I reached down and I put my hands on that little kitten's back. He just turned around. And before I knew what I'd done, I'm, I'm not, a, I like cats, I've got, we've got one at home. I did not like this kitten. <laughs> it was evidenced by the fact, serious, I'm true, telling you the truth, I threw him over the barn. <laughs> and, but I was just trying to get rid of him, I was trying to get rid of him. And she was, she was standing there, I don't even know if she really saw that very clearly or whatever, but. She said, she said, oh, you like kittens? I said, well, I've got some children. She said, well, please take one home. I said, ma'am, I don't think that one's going to want to go with me. <laughs> so visiting can be dangerous. It really can. It's a blessing to be here with you. As I see. How many of you know how to fish? Okay. I said, know how, Dave. I didn't. Well, I grew up in a fisherman's family. My, my dad loved to fish, taught us to fish. And uh, uh, I want to tell you, though, my, my brother, I had a brother about four years younger than me named Tim. He's passed on, going to be with the Lord. And, uh, but we had some great times growing up. Daddy always had ponds, leased, or places for us to fish. And that's the way we grew up, catching fish and um, he had a place out in near Lugolf, Dave, metropolis area out there off of 601. And um, 
There was a pond there, though, that had the biggest brim. Now, ladies, brim, you know what brim are. Brim, really good pan fish and they're good to eat and all that stuff. But this one had huge brim in it. And pounder or more was not unusual. And he took uh, us out there often, let us go out there. He took my brother out there one time when he was about maybe eight years old. Little Tim. Maybe he'd been seven, but I remember that Dad put him in front of the boat and baited his, his, his hook for him. And he said, I'll throw it right out there by that stump. And he just flipped that brim buster over there with that cork cricket on it. And it, it was just one of those days where the cork never stopped. It just went out of satellite. He, he sat back on that pole. And to his surprise, Daddy's surprise, everybody's surprised in South Carolina, he caught one of the biggest brim in, in the state of South Carolina that year. It was a state record on his first cast. And I'm not kidding you. I know everybody thinks I make up this stuff and I tell these. I don't make this stuff up. I told, I told my mother I'd never get in the pulpit of a Baptist truth church and tell a story that didn't at least have a shred of truth in it. This one is true. And look at this. Look at this brim. This one weighed two and a quarter pounds, which is a really large bluegill brim. Look at it in wheat, okay? Now, it was a state record. I don't remember the year. I should know it. Maybe on this thing right here. I can't see. Um, they took it to the, the biology department of the wildlife department in Columbia. It was 12 inches from tip to tail to nose and they took a little pick and magnifying glass counted every scale on this fish. So they examined it thoroughly because it was unusual. Now there have been some bigger now caught in South Carolina. I saw, saw it recently. Some guy caught one over three pounds in South Carolina, which I don't know how he got him in the boat because pound for pound, these things really do fight. But on his first cast, you know, made me sick. I'd fished in that pond for a long time, and, you know, but it was a thrill for him and and then a few years later I was uh, preaching revival in out of Orangeburg at St. George Baptist Church and again I'm documenting because Dave doesn't believe half of the things I tell not this day that don't and this one don't those two days I don't believe half what I tell St. George Baptist Church and so I told my dad about I said they're going to let me stay in a man's cabin that's on a lake down there. That he owns this lake, and he says it's full of bass. And I said, why don't you come go with me on, on that revival? Just stay there. He said, I will. It didn't take much to get him to go fishing or do anything like special revivals. I'll never forget that meeting because Dad gave his testimony several times in that meeting. But we stayed out there and fished. But when we were driving in that Saturday afternoon before the services, the road went along the ponds, about five-acre pond, well-manicured, beautiful. And before we could see the cabin up here on the right. Before we got to it, he said, stop right here. I said, why? He said, because I want to get out. I said, well, can't you wait till we get up to the cabin, get our bags out? I said, no, I'm going to get out right here. I said, why? He said, because I'm going to fish. I said, well, can't you just wait? No. And he opened his door, and he got out. Reached in the truck behind the cab, got his rod and reel, put on a Rapala, which is a, a fish plug with 
trebles on it. And he said, now you unload the bags, I'm going to fish. I said, well, all right, but can't you wait? No. He walked around with that rappeller. I'm sitting there with the window down on my truck watching Dad. He cranked up, and that thing arced, went over, and just before it hit the water, (laughs) this bass caught a hold of that thing, and he started wrestling. My daddy was in his late 70s at that time. He began wrestling this fish at the same time yelling, Get the net, boy! Get the net, boy! (laughs) And uh, so I cut the truck off and ran around. There was a net in the back, and I got the net. And by the time I got the net, he had swung around. Proof! <laughs> and this is that bass. First cast made me sick. The revival hadn't even started. Look at that. All right, so that's pretty nice bass. Yeah. All right, that's all the proof I've got. Look, here's the plug in the fish's mouth. How much more proof do you need? I got the plug. Okay, that's my luck right there. That's amazing. I, I, I mean, I'll never forget those days, and um, I wouldn't take anything for them. But if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 4. Turn to Matthew 4. Now, this is Jesus Christ, the big fisherman, the best fisherman, okay? And he's starting his ministry. In verse 18, it says this. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, And his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I'll make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. On Jesus' first cast, he caught two men. Caught two men. And then, could you top that? I didn't see my brother or dad do this. On his second cast, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets or mending them, whatever, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father. They followed him. Caught two more. And I will tell you, you know the rest of the story. He went on from there fishing and he caught how many more? Ten more. He just kept catching them. More and more and more. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this night that brings us back to Mount Airy and to this warm place and this group of people. God, bless us by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, without your spirit to teach us and guide us and direct us, we can't understand anything. We can't say anything that's meaningful. 
Lord, bless each one of us and use us for your glory. We go fishing. In Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen. You know, as he was just walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw these brothers and he caught them. Let me tell you something. If you've never thought about this, think about this. Jesus finds you just doing what you do. What is it you do? What is it? Let me ask you some questions. Has God's Spirit ever spoken to you at your desk? Anybody? God's Spirit ever just spoken to you at your desk? He found you there. How about some of these? Has He ever just spoken to you on your job? Talked to a lot of people where they just seemed, they've told me, I just had to stop what I was doing. The Lord spoke to me. Has He ever spoken to you in your car? Wow. Boy, how many steering wheels are holy? I mean, we've all had the Lord's Spirit speak to you. You're quiet, you're driving, especially if you're on a trip. Uh, how about on vacation? You get away from everything else that you have to do, and you're on vacation somewhere, and then some quiet moment, the Spirit of God speaks to you. That's God reaching out to you. And His Spirit is speaking to you. He's, he's fishing for you. How about uh, before you go to sleep at night? Many times when I'm speaking to young people, I will tell them, just before you go to sleep, think about what you've done that day. Are you pleased with it? Or maybe right before you go to sleep, sometimes before subconsciousness or consciousness just leaves you, you, you feel like you need to pray. Maybe that's the Spirit of God speaking to you, fishing for you. Just a couple more. How about in a dream? Anybody had the Lord's Spirit speak to you in a dream? Have you? God's after you. He's always trying to get our attention. How about on a mission trip? Many of you here, as I look out, I know you've been on mission trips around. Maybe some of you have not had this experience, but I want to tell you, this is typical of Jesus Christ. He finds you just doing what you do. A few years ago, a friend of mine who's gone on to be with the Lord now, was a great pastor in this state and an evangelist, worked a lot with our state evangelism department. He was a Bill Ellison, but not the one all of you know who was around here for a long time. This is Wild Bill Ellison, we called him, Wild Bill. How many of you knew Wild Bill? We called him Wild, okay. He pastored around South Carolina, a good friend, and then when he retired, he was in our association. I miss him. He and I did some meetings together. We were in Union, South Carolina, and I wish I could tell you the name of that church. I'll, I'll tell you some other day. Can't think of it right now. But we were there for revival. I was leading the music, singing. He was preaching. And he was a great preacher of the word. We got there. The pastor was in the hospital. Couldn't be there the entire time. So we, we drive from Union to the hospital to visit the preacher in Greenville. And so he's praying for us. But we were there by ourselves, and that's dangerous. Wild Bill... Ellison and, and Mike Baker together by themselves, and we had the church. So we decided we'll just visit. He said, let's visit. Monday morning, we were on the street. We literally on the street in Union. And we'd go in and out of businesses, invite people to this revival. If it was homes, anybody, whatever, wherever we saw anybody, we invited them to the revival. Because we were on our own. We didn't know where to go. 
And we came, as we walked down the street, we came with a bank. I don't remember the bank. We walked in and spoke to a teller, invited them to the revival service. I doubt anybody had ever walked in the bank and invited them to a revival service. As he looked in this glass office, saw the manager sitting there. He said, can we speak with the manager? And she said, well, let me see. And she buzzed him. He said, yes, send them in. We walked in, sat down. He said, can I help you? And uh, Bill just told him. He said, we're having a revival. We'd love, for you to, we'd love to invite you to come, you and your family, if you'd like to come. And with a nod of the head and eyes back up, we realized, you know, when you're speaking to somebody, sometimes there's just not a connection there. And he said, well, I appreciate it. He was very nice, he said. But uh, that's not my church. And, and Bill invited him, and he said, well, so what? We both encourage him to come. And just, you know, you probably know a lot of folks there. Just come on. Well, that night when I came up to the pulpit to begin, I looked out, and sitting by the aisle was that bank manager. Right by him was a little girl about eight years old. It was a powerful service, and when the invitation was given, the aisle filled up, and about eight deep was that bank manager and his little daughter. And he came down, and there with tears, he and his eight-year-old girl gave their lives to Jesus Christ. He was just doing what he does, being a bank manager. And the Lord caught him. What do you do? And what is God saying to you? That's, I love that story, and I, that's just so typical of our Lord. When you run into people and they say, well, I don't do that. That's, I just do this. Well, you tell them, you know, Lord wants you. He's looking for you. Look at this. If you go on down, it says he, he called out to them. And he said, follow me. Jesus calls you just as you are. These guys were gutting fish. I mean, they were stinky, smelly fishermen. Uh, Peter, you know, they gutted fish. I don't know if you've ever been to a wharf down at the beach and seen people do that, but it's stinky, smelly, and messy. And, but he took them just the way they were. And it's an amazing story. He didn't go to the, to the temple. He didn't go to the synagogue. He didn't go down where all the religious people were and call the guy that was wearing all the ornate robes and the big hat with spires on it, he didn't do that. He he went to the smelly fisherman and said, follow me. And and I want to tell you something. I don't care if you're timid. I don't care if you're bold. I don't care if, if you have flaws in your life. I don't care who you are, what you've done. He is calling you. And he calls you just the way you are. And he'll take you just the way you are. And geez, that's the wonderful thing about this whole business. Follow me. And he told these guys, follow me. Now, you got to think about for a moment the context and the time when these guys never had anybody come up to them and say, I mean, these were Jewish fishermen. Nobody had ever come up to them and say, hey, if you'll come on and go with me, follow me, I'll make you to be witnesses to your fellow man. They'd never heard anything like that. But they dropped everything, and they got up and went with him. 
That sounds easy. I found out it ain't easy. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not easy. And sometimes it takes a lot of faith and it takes guts. I'm talking about fish guts. I'm talking about gut guts. It takes guts to do it. And I admit that. We were at FPO, Field Personnel Orientation, for two months. And many of you know the story of us going to Indonesia, but uh, we found out a lot. We learned a lot. You know, I've been Southern Baptist all of my life. I found out how much our Southern Baptist Convention does, the International Mission Board does, to prepare and train our missionaries to leave here and go to a strange culture and, and work and live and, and, and so many times be undercover and get by. And so they train you for that. One of the things that we heard the very first day or two in our eight-hour sessions, you study, we studied the book of Acts for two solid months. And, but one of the first things we heard was, as missionaries, we want to require you while you're here to make five contacts a week, minimum. And we did reporting every day by computer. We reported who or where we talked to these people. Now, we're on a two or 300-acre campus that you helped build. It's a beautiful place. I, I recommend you ever get a chance to go to, to ILC, the, the center where they train missionaries, that you go. It would be worth you getting a group on a bus and going up there, spend the night in Richmond and see that place. Just see the, the wall, the cloud of witnesses will change your life. Those who've gone as Southern Baptists and lost their lives on the mission field. When you see those names, and some of them I recognize. Some of them are already my heroes. But anyway, that, that aside... That was our orders. So we had to get to town. Now, the, the Walmart outside of FPO, the Walmart between the ILC there and, and Richmond in Washington, D.C., is probably the most evangelized Walmart in the world. <laughs> oh, you see, the, every two months, two or 300 missionaries came in there, and they heard the same thing the first day we heard. So we would go to Walmart, of course, everybody wanted to go. Debbie and I had our car up there. That car got used more at FPO than it did before that. I mean, we go to Walmart to get the stuff we needed for the room. We lived in a quad, which was four apartments with a center, big center area where everybody could come out in a central area like a dorm, but four families, four different corners. So we had a lot of sharing to do in those places in a prayer time with the groups that they put us in there were a lot of young people there Dave and I probably the oldest folks there no joke we'd left late in life and went as mass under the master's program and so there were a lot of young people there who just finished college a lot of young couples that had two or three children and so there we were and here was in my first prayer group this girl, whose name was Jamie, you told me that before, and I can't remember her name sometimes, Jamie. And she opened up and she said, please pray for me, because I, 
kind of shy, and I don't know if I could just walk up to somebody and talk to them. Yeah, I've got to put this on my report. I want to. She was going to Africa, Malawi, and she said, "I, I don't know if I can do this." And she said, "Will you pray for me that I'll be able to do this?" Because we were going to Walmart the next day or two. So they prayed for her, and we took off. Let me tell you about Jamie's experience. This is so typical of the Lord. When you surrender and you say, I'm going to do it by faith, I'm going to lay my guts out there and I'm going to do it. This is what happened to her. Walking around Walmart trying to get up the courage to hand somebody a track and just stop them cold and talk to them. No luck till she got to the electronics department. When she got to the electronics department, there was a very well-dressed, well-groomed black man standing there looking at cell phones or something. Flipping it over, you know, looking at it. And he said, well, I'm going to Africa. I'm going to try it. And she walked up and said, excuse me, sir. And he, he stopped and looked at it. said, yes, yes, my dear. When he spoke to her, she realized he had a, an accent of some type. And she sort of stumbled through the first few words and then said, I've got this I would like to give you. So he took it and looked at it and said, oh, and this is about, she says, it's about, it's about Jesus. And I'd like to just ask you if you know who Jesus is. I'm going to be a missionary. He said, oh, oh, my dear, where are you going to go? She said, well, the Lord is sending me to Africa, to Malawi. He said, oh, no, 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 I can't believe this. I can't believe this. She didn't know what was happening. He said, listen, no, 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 my dear, you, you don't understand my child. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am the minister of health in the country of Malawi. And if you need anything when you're in Malawi, you call me, okay? And, and all of a sudden, this girl was a great witness for the Lord. You know, just faith just blossomed in her life because she had those guts to to try it by faith. And look what happened. God just confirmed in her life. And you should have heard her sharing that story. Jesus calls you just as you are. And following him is not always easy. But here's what a preacher told me years and years ago. Be available to the Holy Spirit. He'll use you up. Now, am I 110%? No, I'll tell you the truth. I could bend over and let some of you kick me because there's times when I mess up and slip up and forget and don't say what I should say when I should say it. But we should keep trying. Another pastor told me, Mike, write the Lord a blank check. Sign your name on the check. Don't fill it out. Give it to the Lord. And then depend on him for the balances. He'll show you what to do. I encourage you all to think about that in the next few days. Jesus calls you just as you are. You don't have to go to seminary. You, don't have, you might want to get some training. Be honest. That wouldn't hurt any of us to get more training. Oh, an older preacher now who's going to be with the Lord said a call to teach is a call to learn, and you should do that. But then, let's go on and I'll finish. Um, 
Jesus leads you when you immediately follow him. Now, let me explain that. These guys got up and immediately began to follow him. And I think back to, to Paul when, when, God, when the Lord appeared to, to Saul. He immediately obeyed and began to follow Jesus Christ. And look how he used him. Now, here's where I just admitted a while ago. I'm not 110%, probably none of us are. But if we could get better at this, how much more our Christian life would mean to us. Jesus will lead you when you immediately follow him. Let me, say, let me tell you this. Most spiritual needs cannot wait. Think about that for a minute. Most spiritual needs cannot wait. I asked Deb if I could tell the story. I'm going to get upset. Sorry. But it's touching. To explain that last sentence, sometimes you find yourselves in situations, appointments that God has set up for you. Many times it's in the hospital. But you'd gone to the hospital to see a lady in this church who wasn't going to come home from the hospital. She went in, got there, and she couldn't go in the room. So I had to go to the waiting room and, and wait. It was a divine appointment. She sat down, and this young man, about 21 maybe, came in and sat down, didn't know him. And just the two there in that corner began to have a conversation. In just a few minutes, she discovered this young man was not a Christian. She looked in her purse and found a little track that we use, Steps to Peace with God. Sitting there in that waiting room, she went through this track and led that young man to Christ. And would you believe it when... They stood up to go in the room. He was the grandson of the lady. They were there. Now this lady, before she left this earth, found out that her grandson had come to Christ. You think it meant anything to her to know that? Some spiritual needs, folks, can't wait. And if we will Ahead of time, say, Lord, here I am. I want you to use me when those times come. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You just can't believe what it'll do in people's lives. 1992, one of my first trip, first time I ever got on a plane. I, I didn't want to fly. I never wanted to fly. I thought people who flew were crazy. Thought people that took ocean liners across the ocean were crazier. But they got me on that plane to Russia. 1992, Gorbachev had just declared perestroika. He and Reagan had gone at it. He gave up, and they declared communism passed. That opened the door for more so for groups to come in. There were no missionaries there at that time, at least none we knew of. I went with a, a group out of Florida. Jim Ponder was the, at that time still living, was the 
associated with the Billy Graham Association, and he was uh, director of evangelism in the state of Florida. He put together a group, largest mission team I've ever been with. Can you imagine if you've ever been on a mission trip going with 52 people overseas to Russia? Uh, 52 people on that trip, about half women. I've never seen so many suitcases in my life. I think every woman brought a suitcase full of shoes on that trip because all us guys had to move them around. You know how it is. Anyway, we got to Moscow. We got there in tourists, which was the national uh, tour group, tour agency of Russia. See, everything, even though communism fell, the communists still owned everything. And the 300,000-something communists that, that ruled the other 300 million people were still in control, and in tourists was our tour agency. They hired translators for us. So Alexei Sherikov was a young man, about 28 years old, who spoke, spoke very good English, had gotten the job for this particular tour group he didn't know anything about because he was, had applied and was hoping he could get a job. You couldn't get a job in those days. Very difficult for anybody to get a job. So he took the job. He was signed to Frank Keels and I as our translator. And our M.O. was simply go out on the street, hand out tracks, stand on the street corner. And, and Dave, I'd go on the street corner, and I may have told all, all you this before, but, and I'd just start singing. And I would sing, How Great Thou Art. I'm not going to do it tonight, because I want you to stay till the end of this program. But How Great Thou Art. Most people recognize that tune because of the tune was a Ukrainian melody. And so it would attract a few people, and the next thing you know, a little more of people would, would gather, and then they're standing there, a group of, and I've got pictures to prove this, you wanna, if you want proof. It would be a crowd. Can you imagine Red Square, Moscow, and the nuts standing out there singing how great they are, or some other corner, and, and a crowd would gather around, and then here's Alexei, who was former communist, non-Christian, being told to tell these people we want to preach, to we want to share with you about Jesus Christ. So he did. And as the crowd had gathered around, then the preacher would stand, step forward and say, I want to read to you from the Bible. That blew their minds because they'd never seen a Bible. And when... He would stand there and we have pictures of people leaning over the Bible and looking at the preacher and looking at the Bible. Here's Alexei translating the gospel of Jesus Christ to his own people. And about the third night, about 11 o'clock, we were tired, we were worn out. Knock on our door. In post-communist Russia, there's a knock on your door at 11 o'clock. I said, Frank, you get the door, would you? <laughs> Opened the door, and there stood Alexei. And I could tell, something, oh, by, by the look on his face, something was going on. And this is what he said, basically. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I said, what? I, cannot I can't do tell these people this anymore. I said, Alexei, why? Because. I'm telling these people that they are sinners. That they need to follow Jesus. 
I myself am a sinner. A sin of my life. I cannot do this anymore. It's not, not right. I said, Alexi, you're under conviction. Come on in here. So he came in and sat down. And as we began to explain, he had admitted that the words that he was preaching, words he was saying to his own people were convicting him. In about a half hour, all three of us were on our knees at that cot and listened to Alexi invite Jesus into his heart and become a child and follower of Jesus Christ. And turned around and he said, now I don't know what I'm going to do. How can I be a Christian in this country? I said, God will bless you. And then over the next few days, Frank and others discipled. We, we met in our room. We talked to him. We shouted. I said, listen, God's going to bless you. He's going to lead you. You've got to follow him. Follow him, and he'll bless you. He said, I don't have a job. I said, God will help you with that. Turn your life over to him. We told him all those things. And we go on through that trip. Next morning, we come out after breakfast, and here's Alexi standing over there with a group of Russians. He's just going at it. He's doing like this, and he looked like a preacher. And he came back over and said, what are you doing? So I was telling them what you've been telling me to tell them. Changed his life. A year later, 1993, we were back there on our own under other arrangements. And I had his number in my wallet, and I told Frank the other, I said, you know, what was the chance if we could just get Alexi on the phone? I called his home that night, and he answered the phone. And he said, where are you? I said, I'm in Moscow. You're kidding me. I said, no, I'm in Moscow, in the Pribaltiskaya Hotel in Moscow. He said, I'll be there in 40 minutes. And he was. And he came in, sat down, had dinner with us. I said, what's been going on? You're not believe this. You're not believe this. I got a job. I got a job. But not with Russia. No, 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 no. God did better than Russia. I'm working with Swiss Airlines. They cannot fire me. Russia cannot fire me. Swiss Airlines. I said, man, that is amazing. That's just so typical of what God does. And we were praising the Lord about it. And we didn't realize how meaningful that was until we got ready to leave Moscow. Okay? And we got there. All of a sudden, for some reason or another, the guards wanted to know everything we knew. As we were trying to get out, they were going through our luggage. I have a picture of a pastor that was on the trip. My guard had his Bible, flipping through his Bible. And they were giving us a fit. One pastor just went ahead and paid the guys some money just to, to not worry about it and went on through. And when I realized what was happening, we had a line of guys we needed to get. I, was, I looked over here at the Swiss Airlines counter, and there stood Alexei Sherikov. So I went over, and I said, Alexei, they don't want to let us out of here without paying a lot of money. And we, you know, we about spent all our rubles. We don't, you know, I can't believe they're doing He said, what? They're not going to do this? He jumped over the Swiss air counter. I saw him just put a hand on He jumped over the counter. He ran over there, and he got right in their face. He's with Swiss Airlines now. He's not with, he's not with Russia. And he told them, these are our friends. These people have come to help us. You can't do this. This is not right. You should not do this. And they said, okay. We won't. Put all the stuff back in our bag. And then we left. Isn't that so much like God? 
Not only did he go fishing after Alexei, but called him, put him in the right place just to help us with one thing. And I've wondered so many, many years about him. And I pray for him often. Listen, this is the power of God unto salvation. How can we just keep it to ourselves? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Shouldn't we tell everybody? I encourage you, and probably have before, just go on billygraham.org, call them, give them your credit card number, you can trust them, and order these. And then use these as the bridge. Walmart, Waffle House, okay? Walmart, Waffle House, wherever, Burger King. Let me tell you, this is the bridge. And, and, and simply, this is what I do. A lot of times at Walmart's just this. I, they reach out and they take it. Never have I had anybody throw it down or look at it. Let me tell you what happened. One church I told about this, a, a teenager about 15 years old came down and got one. And they were a laundromat with their family. And as the lady came in, she said, I would like to give you this. She handed that to the lady. It's the only time I've ever heard of this. And she looked at that, threw it down, said, I don't want that, and walked off. Walked out of the laundromat. And the little girl standing there. That's not what Preacher Baker said would happen. So she went over and picked it up, went over to her parents. She was crying. She said, the lady threw it down and went out. The daddy looked over there at the machine and said, don't worry, she'll be back. Her clothes are in the dryer. In a little while, this lady came back in walked over to the little girl. And said, I see a piece of paper. Handed it back to her and she, she kept it. That family was able to get around the lady and share with her and then pray with her. And then got her name and address, and the pastor, their pastor was able to go see that lady. You trust God, get a little gutch, a little spiritual backbone. You will see wonderful things happen. I promise you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that challenges us. Lord, we so much want to follow you we know that you have the answers to life. Lord, as we go, as we follow, help us not to miss the other fish, the other fish who need to be caught. Lord, it may not be on our first cast. Sometimes it might be. Help us to cast the story that you've given us to share. Bless this church. Thank you for the staff here. Thank you for what Mount Airy means and how they go, how they share. How, I pray you bless them. But if there's one here tonight that's not started that journey, I pray. Maybe they'll order these tracks. Maybe they'll just start sharing by faith. But help them to do that. Lord, we give you honor. We give you glory for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name. Amen.
I guess you can go now.